Hello, my name is Connor. And I'm Jason. And you're listening to the Amaze and Perplex podcast. Today we're talking about the passage in Matthew chapter 5 where Jesus is discussing this common idea of the age and a very common historical idea of an eye for an eye uh, and this very famous where he'll talk about turning the cheek and, and so that just kind of brings to mind, has there ever been a situation, Jason, where you were in a fight, you caused a fight, you wanted vengeance because um, somebody had uh, attacked you, whether emotionally or physically? Yeah, so I, I, even though I was in the Army, I've never been in a, a physical altercation. That's just an interesting thing. Um, but uh, when I was 10, uh, those were the rough days, right? When I was 10, uh, my brother and a friend of his were 6'7", and uh, there was another boy that was 6'7", and we just get to talking about, hey, who could take who? And we were like, hey, Jeremy, you can you can beat this guy. You know, you can beat him. And the guys, there's kids, we're all sitting there. And it's not like some big high-pressure gang situation, you know, we're just like, I think you can take him, and the kid runs off. We're just playing. All of a sudden, my brother's friend's uh, big brother, who is three, four, five years older than us, comes out, really imposing football player, comes out, and he's screaming at us because basically the kid that ran off, his mom, called the house, and we're like, they're inciting violence over there. And I'm scared to death. This guy is going to crush me. Well, then his brother comes out, his his older brother comes out, and they get in this huge fist fight. I'd never seen a fist fight. So I had this such a weird mix of of I was t- horrified I was sure. going to get caught up in it. And I think Jeremy and I were slowly backing up till we were, you know, down the street. I but the other thing I was like I caused this like I, I power brought, well it, it is power but also like this is this is why you say eye for an eye yeah <laughs> if, if two six year olds would have fought there probably would have been no blood spilled there'd been a little pushing but this is where this can go is what jumps in my mind that's really good mine is uh, not 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 as physical so I was probably in the sixth grade and what you got to realize about me is like I have always been scared of authority and I've always. Um, been terrified of authority being disappointed in me and so i was never the kid that got in trouble or got sent to detention or got like you know written up i remember like time i got like you know a talking to or like got a warning in the third grade i bawled my eyes out for ages well a similar sort of thing happened to me in the sixth grade i was about a month into school and we were my best friend and i he's still my best friend he was uh, my best man in my wedding i still talk to him all the time we were sitting uh, standing in our lunch line there were two separate lunch lines and each one had like a separate you know, separate lunch. And so he asked me, he was like, hey, Connor, you know what is in the other line? I was like, I don't know, but Miko, you're my best friend in the whole world. And so I'll go check for you. I'll go look and see what's in the other line. Then we'll come back. I'll report. We'll decide if we want to skip to the other line. So I walk and I say, hey, we're, they're having gross chicken nuggets or whatever the thing is. And so I walk back and I tell him that. And our teacher, or no, our, sorry, our principal, Mr. Padalino, uh, who just, you know, wonderful man, but he had really big thumbs and a unibrow, which is just something about him. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's something to take that out. Anyways, That's why I shave every week. Yeah, just I'm constantly on that. No, he, um, he pulled me out of line. He was like, so Connor, I saw you cutting. Uh, go to 207, which is like the detention room. And so for me, it was like my my world was in it. I was like, no, no, no. He's like, I don't want to hear it, Connor. No bad. Like, don't. This, this is why I'm always careful when I was in any position of authority because 
people can get so anyways that's whatever <laughs> anyway so like i'm like i'm i'm looking at my best friend like trying to make eye contact tell him what i was doing tell him that i was like being a good person tell him i'm you know this not not this horrible human being that would be sent to lunch detention <laughs> tell him that i'm not this delinquent uh and so i that he didn't my friend he betrayed me he left me <laughs> oh. left me for dead and so i went to 207 i went to lunch detention and i just bawled my eyes out for like the entire time mind you like it was like a bunch of kids and they were laughing joking around it was not like a bad time they were just like you know I, but i was so crushed and i remember for months after just being like i i i hope i get the chance to not have his back i hope i get the chance <laughs> to like throw him under the hey, bus go and check <laughs> the line <laughs> oh i feel that so deeply oh yeah. man so that that's my story so jason do you want to kick it off for sure us? so we're in uh, matthew 5 as you mentioned uh, beginning in verse 38 jesus speaking here you've heard that it was said eye for eye and tooth for tooth but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. All right, some challenging stuff there. So for you, sure. as you as you process this, what amazes you about his words here? So there's a there's a lot of challenging and incredible things just paradigm shifting and countercultural and um and challenging to the system things that that, that Jesus says here but this is something that I just never really processed or thought through that phrase um that phrase an eye for an eye uh you can find it in one of like the oldest written accounts in the history of the world. That's like, that's a phrase used in ancient Mesopotamia. Um, that's like something written to their law code. And so it, it's really fascinating to me, this idea, this eye for like that language is used in, in those, in those law. I don't know. I'm sure they're not law books, but law tablets or whatever they may be. And so it, it's just really amazing to me. Amazing to me how prevalent the idea that Jesus is speaking against that it's something that is almost baked into us from from the very beginning, and not just like, and not just like the idea of vengeance being something that we've always we're like baked into the cake and something that we're always seeking or always uh, having to strive to not go for, but even um, even our sense of justice, even our sense of right and wrong is so wrapped up in in vengeance, um, and it, it's something that goes back for uh, as long as humans have existed and so for me just the amazing thing that i'm pulling out here and I'm, I'm really struggling to put it into words um is just how monumental like we, we'll talk about it i'm sure here in a bit it's monumental that jesus the task jesus is laying before his followers to turn the other cheek but it's all he's not just like it's not just an individual um thing that he is he's calling his followers to this is something that is totally shifting uh, the paradigm of what it is to be a human that seeks justice, uh, and for me, that's not. I've never. I'd, I'd always considered it as at an on an individual basis, which I think is what we're supposed to do. But I had never thought about it in terms of a cultural, um, global dynamic. I think that's yeah. That's that is interesting. I I think of you know, and I know if we were doing a study of this passage instead of approaching it from a maze and perplexed perspective. Uh, we would talk about th this is real stuff for them. Uh, in particular, it jumps out the if you've studied this at all. You know, most people have heard this from preachers that that Roman soldiers come up and demand a mile by giving them two miles. You know, and so this is very specific to their culture. We generalize this and say, oh, you went the extra mile there, and I think that's fine. Um, but this has real world 
uh, implications. This isn't vague. Sometimes we'll talk about, yeah, I've got a cross to bear, but we're not literally thinking I'm I'm willing to die for for Jesus mm-hmm. and die to myself in whatever way, you know, yeah. kind of. Thing. Or it's like if I sin, maybe I get a fine, maybe I get in trouble. Not like I get my hand cut off or I get my eye gouged out, you know. Yes, <laughs> precisely. Yeah, and I I think that's that's the deal. I I love that 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 thought of yeah, this is really universal and 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 again, this isn't novel. Just what I've been told over the years, and it, it's a limitation. It's a beautiful innovation into a more civilized world. In other words, uh, so if one of the, the guy that was the aggressor in my little story, you know, about when we were kids, John, twice my size, if he would have hit, if he would have pushed me down, mm-hmm. I would have wanted to hit him with something with a bat. You know what I mean? Because he didn't have a right to push me down. You know what I mean? It, it wouldn't have been enough for me to push him. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Now, Understand, I'm not suggesting it's right to hit him with a bat yeah. or to push him at all. What I'm saying is in my gut, well, let me put it to where, where we did have fights. So I did have physical altercations <laughs> with my little brother, who I was, I've was. i always been taller those than. Don't, so those very, don't count. Yeah, I know. But, but if God he, shouldn't have made you taller and shouldn't have made you the big brother. <laughs> that's right. Was, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, man. I'm glad my, my family doesn't listen to this. But anyway, <laughs> the uh, but that dynamic of if my brother pushed me yes. and and just I moved back an inch, I was going to push him so that he falls down. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So this is like in our in our wiring. And, and you said from the beginning, obviously Cain and Abel, you know, what would have been the, okay, so so Abel, you were honored and I was dishonored. So I'm going to figure out a way to get God to honor me. Not, no, he's going to kill him. You know, so this <laughs> is obviously, well, let's get that eye to eye thing in place here. So we're not murdering each other over every infraction, every hurt yeah. feeling, you know? No, I think that, that, that is fascinating. I had not even approached it from that, that, and I know it's true. People talk about like, I know like in law schools, they'll talk about what a breakthrough, the idea of an eye for an eye is. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like Jesus is saying like, it's almost like a, like a legal revolution almost of like the eye for eye is, is just this, this whole new incredible thing. And Jesus like, okay, the next step, you know, that was good maybe for a time, but the next step that we're, we're approaching now is this new kingdom way. Right. Yeah, absolutely. The, the thing I'm just adding into really our conversation when, when I think about what amazes me is if Jesus wasn't saying this, I would say this is untrue. Like this will not produce anything. This allows the bullies to bully more. You know, is what I, again, if I didn't see it happen with Jesus, if I didn't believe there was a God, I would say this is a great example of how the Bible does not apply to real life. And you think about the social justice dynamics that have been around forever, but in particular in these last couple of years, the real resistance to peaceful protest in, in many quarters, because there the counter is peaceful protest hasn't got us anywhere. And I would, I would disagree with that, yeah. but you have to define get us anywhere, you know. Um, but you look at, I think, back to what little I know of Gandhi and obviously uh, Martin Luther King Jr., and you, you look at that and you're like and, – and like a lot of words, peaceful doesn't mean just sitting. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, you can march and be peaceful. It can peaceful. be the active resistance it, of I'm going to go the extra mile. Exactly it, right, yeah. And, and that's, the, that's the dynamic of this does work. It just doesn't – I think we even think about MLK in this light. MLK, a flawed man just like me – but a definitive man of faith. Mm-hmm. And we discount, I think maybe we in the church discount how God moved because he was following this teaching. Mm. You know, I'm not even saying he he advocated this teaching all the time. I, and I'm not saying he was against the teaching, but in his practice, I see mm-hmm. him him following this this teaching, these principles yeah. of Christ, and, and ultimately trusting in God with it. And that's the other thing is, remember, this is not a principle to go practice on your own. 
This is something you do as a function of trusting and loving God. If you disconnect this from from loving and trusting God, it's not going to work. Because it doesn't make sense. It it, it It doesn't make sense for Martin Luther King to put himself in constant danger. Right. And no, I mean, he he said, he talks about knowing that he's probably going to die pretty soon. Yeah. It doesn't make sense if he doesn't have a further view. And I mean, I think it's one of those things that for a lot of people, and I think I can't judge anybody for, you know, their life situation, like, and how they viewed it, interact in their communities and in Mm -hmm. their lives. But I think we've, we've seen that, like, the proof is in the pudding in the fact that you know, Martin Luther King in 2021 is now revered as a hero. He's now revered as somebody as a, as a paragon of man, what it is to be a peaceful protester and what it is to be somebody that lives out this sort of mindset. And it's, you know, it's one of those things in my generation, it, this, uh, this sort of stuff is taken for granted by mm-hmm. my, by, by my generation, like that, these ideas, these, the, the idea, not, 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 I'm not even necessarily the peaceful protest, although that too, but human dignity, um, and human, um, value that we're all equal and all have a chance. Like that stuff is taken for granted. Whereas for all of human history, uh, up until about five minutes ago, it was not really anything that was put into practice in our, in our culture and put into practice. Um, as just as humans. And so I think it's one of those things that for us as Jesus followers, um, you know, as Jesus followers, somebody like Martin Luther King who has faith and who's willing through God to go about this way of living, to go through God um, this way of this way of, of peacefully resisting and, and peacefully loving even the aggressors against him. Um, it, it, it speaks not just to followers of Jesus 60, 70 years from then, but it speaks to people who don't even believe in Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the, like Martin Luther King is a hero to Christians, to non-Christians, to, to Muslims, to, I mean, to is right. many people. And the reason is, is because you can see the fruit of something that is different, something that is not of this world. Exactly my, my words. Now, now, here's the other rub, and this is where my identity as a kingdom, as a Jesus person, and my identity as an American citizen are in conflict. Because we didn't get the United States of America because of peaceful protest. And if I'm looking through that lens, I'm, I'm, and I'm, this is genuinely, man, I'm so grateful the Boston Tea Party. I'm so grateful for the, you know, the, the Revolutionary War. And I'm so grateful for, you know, the, the good that the Civil War brought. And I'm so grateful. But then I'm like, but that's not this teaching. And, and do we get to a, a United States of America and the innovations and the, the freedom? And I understand that's always unevenly applied in, in every culture, including this one. But but do we get there if they're doing peaceful protests? Now, if I really trust God, I would say, yeah, and it would have been better. Yeah. You know, but or it would that's, be better. Hard to, that's hard to make that case. Yeah, or know? it'd be better for my grandchildren or my great-grandchildren. Or it'd ultimately Precisely. be better for the world, for society. Yeah. And I think that is, is something that as followers of Jesus, we can be, man, you know, I'm, I'm somebody, you know, the Olympics was just happening. I'm, I'm always cheering. Um this summer, I'm a big U.S. soccer fan. U.S. soccer just kicked the absolute butt out of Mexican soccer, out of the Mexican soccer team in two cup finals. And I was, you know, my baby was sleeping, so I wasn't screaming, but I was, I was screaming at my TV inside, uh, so pumped up, you know, USA, USA. But it's one of those things that we can be, um, that you know, we can we can have we can have joy and we can be thankful for where we're born. But it's one of those things that even, even people who love the, this country more than anybody else, like. Even people who are even more proud than the average citizen, you can still admit and be a man as followers of Jesus. If we did this the Jesus way, then it would be even better. And in fact, it would lead to more human flourishing. It would lead to more connected people. Um, and and here's the thing: not just 
not just would it lead to those things, people would recognize those things. Mm -hmm. People would have to begrudgingly see those things. Yeah. And this is this is the thing, and I'm just being fully candid. I get it. If I and I'm not going to say to somebody, especially somebody that's living in in a in a in a way in a, in a zone uh, that I just I'm it's completely foreign to me, and that may be somebody that lives ten minutes from my house. You know, what I mean, I'm not going to say, well, here's how you should deal with your problems. You know, what I mean, because I don't I don't know. You know, but I can understand how it would sound really hollow to say. Well, if you would only do peaceful protest, if if you would go the extra mile, if you'd outserve them, if if they take your your you know whatever, then give them even more. How people look at me in disbelief, and how they could say you are standing on the yeah. luxury of non peaceful protest. Yeah, like like everything that I have is built on the shoulders of non peaceful, of non turning the other cheek, of mm-hmm. non going the extra mile, and so I have to own. That that I'm I'm I get that privilege of of this built on yes. teaching that is completely counter to the teaching of Jesus. Yes, and I know? think that I think that's man, I think that's an incredible point. I think it's so important, uh, and that's this is where the judgment comes in of like of you know do I am I angry? Am I upset with people um, who aren't exactly following this? Well, I have to first recognize that if I was put in their position, if I was put in the position of the revolutionaries, like like in your example, mm-hmm. I probably wouldn't have wanted to do this because I would have had a whole host of reasons. And the secret is in my life, maybe not the big things because I'm I live a pretty charmed life. But I find reasons to not do these things in my personal actions all the time. Uh, and, and so Jesus knew that when he was speaking to these people. They had more reason, certainly, than I do um, to not want to turn the other cheek. They certainly had much more reason to, to not want to go the mile and certainly more reason to, to resist and maybe even do so violently, not certainly not turning the other cheek. Um, and so I, it's always that thing. I think I think this is the heart of a Mason perplexed of of. Of we hold, we get to hold up, man. What an amazing call! Um, but it's it's so hard and almost imp- sometimes almost impossible. Um, and it's only po- like this amazing call is only possible if it's through God, if it's through Jesus. And so when it's not lived out, whether by me or by somebody else, I don't get to go. Well, you're a failure. You're wrong. You you didn't do it. I get to I get to be like, well, if their failure affects me then that's an opportunity for me to go, okay, I get to turn the other cheek and I get to go the extra mile for that person. I'm going to make a, a bold statement for me mm-hmm. and it's and it's this and for other people it's like, well, that's so, that's nothing. But if you don't have the spirit of God in you, you can't do this. Mm-hmm. You, you might be able to do it momentarily. But you can't live this life. You you can't. It's just there's not enough willpower. There's not enough. Well, the principles are true, and I believe this long term because in your own spirit. And I'm I'm not talking about global issues or national issues. I, I'm talking about you and your relationship with your family, with your coworkers, with mm-hmm. because our heart beats for justice and longs for mercy. We always have this vying in ourselves. So there is so much inertia. Mm-hmm. That that is that, and the devil's manipulating every piece he can, you know. And so, if you're if you don't have the spirit of God, this isn't going to work for you. Which which leads to what perplexes me, and I think this is really true of everything, you know. I, I think for the longest time, I was told, "Here are the principles. Go do the principles." And I'd say, "Well, do I have the spirit of God?" Well, honestly, I was raised with we don't talk that way around here. Um, but even when we embrace the spirit of God, it's so nebulous, and and it still is. I don't have like a lock on. Oh, here's exactly the Holy Spirit. 
But I do have the ownership that if I'm not abiding in Christ, I don't have access to those resources. Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm, that's not about saved or not saved. It's I see what it looks like when I try to take charge of something and I'm not, I don't even have Jesus in my mind. I, I'm not even asking God about it. I'm not even saying, okay, Holy Spirit, this only works with you and show me the next thing. Um, and so this is one of those concepts. It's true across the board, but this is one of those that really shows up. And, and the part that is perplexing is we're assuming Jesus did this. Like this was, it's not even so much, we assume Jesus was this, mm-hmm. that Jesus was the, like almost, now he had to learn obedience from what he suffered. And that's including while he's speaking here, there's suffering going on in him. So it's like, when does he master it? But there's no sin. And so the dynamic is we assume that Jesus was this. And so he, we would apply this lens to everything he does. Well, now it gets kind of, it gets perplexing because, okay, turn the other cheek. Why are you holding the Pharisees responsible for the stuff they said? How can you say whitewash walls? Is that going the extra mile? Um, get behind me, Satan. You know, these kind of dynamics, um, it's, and I'd have to unpack it more to make it maybe more visceral, but it, but it is that idea that we have to, any scripture you're reading, you have to back out and sure. say, how else does God live this out? Yeah. You know, because Jesus was very much about justice at times, mm-hmm. um, and then very much about mercy simultaneously, and that's a concept that's very hard for us, because to do that both simultaneously, it feels like we're doing two very separate competing actions, mm-hmm. you know, justice and mercy. Jesus is doing both at, this, at the same time. Even my, my inability to discuss it well right now so I, is I, showing I, where the tension. If I were to boil down my perplexion is how do you – how do you not resist an evil person and still not give way to evil things or evil actions? Exactly right. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And for me, like that, that that's absolutely my perplexion is um, it, it's, it's almost it's almost infuriating because like Jesus does give these examples, but they don't necessarily like they, they don't have the one to one correlation with things with for us today. Um, and so like I, for the I would imagine for the people actually hearing these, actually receiving who Jesus is talking to maybe they ask themselves that question of like, well, okay, I've seen this interaction before. Um, I've seen other, like may- maybe they've even been around Jesus for a minute um, and they followed him and now he's given this big sermon and they- they've seen some- him do some things like, well, how is that resisting in this particular way? For me, the the hard part gets to, um, is is Jesus gives these clear, and uh, not, he gives these instructions to these very specific real world examples for them about how you can resist, not resist somebody who's evil, but also, um, you know, not give in to evil, not be a perpetuator uh, of evil. Um, but for us modern day, because Jesus is speaking to his audience, but he, you know, it, it, God has also preserved his word for a reason um, and given to us now. There's not that direct like, oh, OK, I, I know exactly how in this specific situation I can I can not resist this evil person, but also not give way to the. And so that's just the perplexing part for me is um, so, many, so much of the time I feel like when we hear Jesus talk, there is this benefit for us with hindsight and you know the ability to see all of scripture and all of history working out in a particular way but this is one of those clear examples for me that the benefit is much more for the um for the intended he- initial hearer yeah I, I i was just thinking about so in all these examples he uses um okay let's don't do eye for an eye instead we're going to do it this way and and you just said you know don't resist an evil person so that and here's some ways you don't resist an evil person specifically in our culture you know um, I don't know how many times they're slapping each other. So that, that I, I know the walking an extra mile is built in and I, 
I, I, I can see these, you know, how these show up, and I, I can imagine them saying, okay, this is very tangible application of, of this concept of not resisting. Jesus, uh, well, let, let me say it this way. If I am teaching and people are coming to grab me, to throw me off a precipice, or to, you know, do something, take me out to be stoned, and I... I would think, well, this is this is one of those examples. You know, I mm-hmm. take this, and then I would maybe go to Paul, where he got stoned, left for dead, and and you know, and he's resurrected, or maybe they didn't kill him, didn't know, but whatever way, he's able to to live through that experience, and and so I think that would be how you do it. But Jesus disappears, like he, I don't know if he teleports, becomes invisible. I don't, I don't know what he does there, but he's able to. Because you got to imagine if they're wanting to carry him to kill him, he's the main focal point. It's not like he's some side issue. I would love if there was an extra thing here that didn't get written down. It was like, and if and if religious leaders ever come to you know arrest you and stone you, just teleport away. That's how you. That, yeah. That's it. That, that's right after go the extra mile. It's like just teleport. <laughs> Everybody would try to be putting themselves in position to be stoned. Then I want to have that experience. But it's like, isn't that resisting? Like, isn't yeah. that you know? And and. I have a bias. I have a bias that Jesus is right. So it's not that dynamic. It's just, it, it's exactly what you're saying. I should just let you go first. But it, but how you put that idea of, of the perplexing thing, it's in application, but specifically finding any kind of clean um, across the Gospels, uh, this is how you'll know. This yeah. is resisting, because I have heard people say about this passage, um, and this goes back years and years, and every once in a while I'll hear it again, that they're saying the reason you would turn your cheek is say, you don't have anything on me. Like, like you hit me in the right, yeah, hit, hit the left, I can take it, you know what I mean? Or, oh, you only want to walk a mile? No, I'm going to demand you walk two. You didn't want to walk two, but I'm, and I'm like, well, that's the opposite of die to self in my view. Now, if that's yeah. a, another person's view, that's fine. I can't make that congruent with other ways that Jesus lives. Um, but the truth of the matter is I, I can't, Ultimately, this goes back to what it's always supposed to be in the first place. Mm-hmm. This is me saying, not just saying, okay, God, you gave me a scripture. Now i got to figure out how to live it out. Mm-hmm. It's, it's okay, I have a situation, God. How do you want me to handle this and let God bring whatever scripture to mind he wants to or whatever sure. guidance he wants to? And so part of my dilemma or my tension over this, it, it's, it's not so much – it's how I've applied scripture yeah. in general. Yeah, I think I think honestly, it, we're meant to do this with all of scripture, and this is the heart of Mason Plex when we're meant to wrestle with it. And I think this passage maybe more so than even other ones around it. I think that for there to be a clean, to be a clean like, here's how you do X, Y, and Z for all examples in life, man. Then that then then it would become the rule book. It would become the manual. It would become the you know human. Do you really have agency? Do you really have a choice in the matter? Because if 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 I can give you a formula for how to to do this, to not follow the eye for eye method, um, and there, the answer is always going to be a clean answer, then, you know, do like, are you really trusting? Are you really having faith? Are you really growing in deeper intimacy with God? And I think that this this passage is about the personal reaction. It's about um, a, a people who are being oppressed by empire. Um, there, there's so much happening here. And, and for me, I, the thing that seems to be most challenging in my day-to-day life and I don't. I didn't see this until I was just reading it back here in a second. One is is towards the end of what we've been reading um, in verse forty-two. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. And I and I just got to thinking. You know, my first thought was like, oh, driving on the side, and you drive, and you pull up to a you know some uh, to a person, a panhandler, and I think about my interactions with those people. But then I can begin to think about um, how often somebody's asking something of me in my life. I mean, when I really begin to think about 
how often somebody is desiring, somebody is wanting a piece of me. It is all that is a constant need. Like it is taking out even a baby, which is that just that's just natural. That's just what it is. I mean, whether I'm at work, whether I'm like even when you go to the store, there is there are natural things that people want from you at the store. They're natural things that I could just go on and on. You have family members, you have your spouse, you have your friends, you have um, your work. People are constantly asking slash demanding things of you as a person. And for me, I, I, I try to be accommodating as accommodating and I try to um, and I try to be somebody that wants to um, that wants to be generous with their time, with their resources, with their energy, with their money. Um, but I've always also been somebody that is that boundaries are really important for. And I'm wondering here, I'm not saying like I'm, I, I need to like go and give all my money away and and my wife and child live in a cardboard box. But I'm just wondering here, have I, have I valued as somebody who's relatively healthy um, follower of Jesus, have I valued too much of my, have I set too many boundaries around my emotional, my emotional resources and say, it, it, so basically what I'm, what I'm trying to ask myself here, because I, I can hear, I can hear how somebody might hear me wrong in this. Am I being too selfish of, Am I being too selfish when it comes to people asking um, asking me for parts of myself? Does that make sense? Yeah, I get that. And this is where my head goes is immediately to, because it's just how I think, does Jesus follow that? You know, because I like the way you framed that, um, the idea, yes, this definitely applies to justice in, in that sense of you hurt me and I feel I have a right. And now God is saying, I want you to trust me with this and yield to me. But it also shows up in these less emotional ways where it's like – where and, and we talk a lot. I don't know if people do it well, but about, hey, you need to set a boundary here and this kind of thing. And, and, uh, and, and I think there's something very biblical to that. So then my head goes to Jesus in Luke 4 where he's like he healed people late into the night. The next morning he gets up and goes prays, goes and prays. His apostles find him and they're like, hey, people are looking for you. He's like, yeah, we're leaving. So that's setting a boundary, you know, uh, when he, when he feeds the 5,000, he feeds them and then he sets a boundary and he's like, Hey, you go here. We're, you know, dismiss the crowd. I'm certain there are more people that need to be healed. You know, if there's 5,000 people, you know, because you start with your cancer people, but then you'd be like, you know, my, I got this toenail issue. You know what I mean? If it, I mean, honestly, if I'm with somebody who's going to heal me, I'll start with the big, but you give me enough time, he'll heal everything, you know? So he dismissed a crowd invariably that wanted to hear more, to eat more, to be healed more. And so this this is that dynamic of, and, and this is why I think it's so important that we are to walk with God and develop increasing dependence on him and let him bring these concepts to bear in contrast to doing it the other way where, oh, I got a new concept. I finally understand. I was looking this morning at confess your, you know, confess your sins one to another so you can be healed. And I was like, man, nobody does that. You know, I mean, I do it because I really try with with certain trusted people. But generally speaking, as as a community, that's not something we usually do. And we don't like to talk about that much. And I'm like, immediately I felt this huge weight on me. I'm like, oh, that's another thing i got to add. Like every new thing, I've got another thing. And God's like, and I, this to me is the Sermon on the Mount in a nutshell. God's saying, if you really want to be perfect on your own without a Savior, here's how you'd have to live. Can you do that? And it's like Terry Rush one time years ago said, it's like God's having the whole world stand up and saying, okay, as soon as you can't accomplish this on your own strength, sit down. 
And you get to, what is it, six, where he's like, hey, anybody still standing? Uh, be holy like God is holy. And now everybody's seated, you know. And it's the whole idea of, and, and don't miss, you know, I don't want to be misunderstood. These are all things we should strive for. Yeah. You know, that is the standard. But it's kind of built in, baked into the cake, as, as, it, as you say, this dynamic of you can't. That's why you need a Savior, you know. Mm-hmm. And then you work opposite. You're like, I have a Savior. I'm in relationship. He's going to lead me into accomplishing these things yeah i think it, kind of getting back to where we talked about a little bit earlier i think this is why man as as followers of jesus we should always have a holy discontentment about and whatever earthly government we find ourselves on because I, a big part of what jesus is addressing in the sermon on the mount is is are the people of israel's um struggle with their roman government um, and the oppression that they're facing and and there's there's this reckon recognition and we've talked about it before We've talked about it before that a lot of people describe kind of the Beatitudes and Summer on the Mount as, as, as Jesus's, um, you know, his calling for for what the kingdom of God is supposed to be like. And so I, I love the idea of what you said there about this idea of, you know, standing up, you know, sitting down when you finally kind of hear the thing you can't do. Um, and, and it gets to this gets to this thing where as Christians, man, we can be so frustrated when things are not falling through, when there's when people aren't turning the cheek or there are people not being taken care of or, you know, there's in, injustice or there's cruelty in a specific area. And it's good to have those angers and good to have those frustrations and good to work to remedy those things. But just as Jesus is saying, listen, you can't be these things. You need a savior. You can also look at those things and say, listen, you can't create some mythical country that can follow all of these things that can magistrate that can govern in this way. You need a king. You need to be part of a kingdom of a different kind of kingdom. Um, and, and for me, I never, I had never thought about it in those terms until you said it in that particular way that so much of the longing that I have for the government that I exist on. Um, so much of the time I feel like I, so much of the time I, um, am longing for something that it can't provide. I'm long. And I think, I think the truth is so many people, not not there's so many people who aren't followers of Jesus who are longing for that same thing and who have who are irate and are um, feel great injustice that their government isn't living living this living out um, this call for justice and mercy. Yeah, I, I I don't know how to wrap it up, but for me, I, I think it's just such a um, it's such a beautiful call and reminder when we talk about the Sermon on the Mount that. I need the Savior, and I need to be a part of the kingdom of God. I need to be an active member of the kingdom of God because the only way that any of these things can be possible is through Jesus and, and through the community that he has built and is continuing to build. And, um, and so for me, yeah, that, that, always, it, that, that leads to a whole other conversation because it gets me excited about the possibilities of what the church can be, a people that are you know, turning the other cheek, a people that are going the extra mile, people that are you know, lending all the time and who are giving of themselves over and over again, but then that also leads me to thoughts of frustration and 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 struggle, and so yeah, there, there's a whole lot there, and I'm sure I'll edit a lot of that out, um, or the whole thing out. Um, but Jason, do you have any kind of closing thoughts? I I think when we cover a concept like this that that directly ties into, I, I need to change things in my behavior. Like there are expectations of my behavior. Um, we can tend to either ignore it, oh, that's too much, I'm going to ignore it, or become incredibly self-critical or critical of other people, you know? It's the common human way of dealing with stuff that feels too big. And the realization that it's too big because it's too big. It's not too big because you're dumb or whatever, you know, you're weak. It's, it's too big because it's too big. And that's the point. I mean, Galatians points out the whole law was to lead you to 
Jesus. It was lead you. Do you see that Abraham's lineage couldn't get it right? <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, all these humans to live and try, and they never got it right, that, that we needed to be saved. And we can never disconnect these, these behavioral teachings, which are valid and true and expectations, you know. Um, but we can't disconnect that from the fact that's why I'm saved, you know, for two reasons. Number one, I'm going to mess this up, you know, and maybe horribly for the rest of my life. And number two, he will lead me into fulfilling this if I keep trusting him, if I keep leaning in. But if I didn't know, it's like Paul said, if the law didn't exist, I wouldn't even know I was breaking it. You know, if these standards weren't stated, I wouldn't even entertain the thought. And these thoughts have impacted our culture enormously. Even as we deny, you know, well, we're not a Judeo-Christian society, and I, I get that, but we are we are standing on people like we referred to earlier, MLK, and so many others who practice this by the grace of God because of their faith led them there, and we are beneficiaries of all of their choices, and I would say, man, don't give up on this, yeah. you know, but never say I'm going to do this, say by God's grace, he'll work through me to do yeah. it. Yeah, and that's the beauty is like we don't, it's not like, oh, man. Martin Luther King got it all right. And so that's why we're benefiting it from it now. Martin Luther King got plenty wrong and he had plenty of failings. But he, in, in this area specifically, I mean, he kept pushing, kept trusting, kept following after God. And even through the failures and even through the struggles, his like his his work, um, man, has benefited, benefited millions and it benefits us today. And the same thing is true for us is even when we feel like, man, I'm not I'm not getting anywhere with this. I'm struggling. I'm I'm stumbling and getting back up and stumbling and getting back up. And you go, man, what could God do with 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 this? And I imagine the same sort of thoughts probably were in the minds of a lot of civil rights leaders. And yet, the the clear fruit of what they have done is it is is so obvious to us now. And I think the same thing will be true of all of us who are faithful. Um, whether it's 10 years down the road, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, or even if it's next week, I, I think it's very, I think scripture is very clear that we will see those fruits and men, people will flourish and benefit because of it. Thank you for listening to the Amazed and Perplexed podcast. Grace, peace, and love.